Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be doing something different. Uh, the last time we finished the Gospel of Luke and next Sunday we're going to go into the book of Malachi. I'm very excited because Malachi is short. It's a great book. I'm going to give you, show you some parallels. Uh, but after that we're going to get into First and Second Thessalonians. And we're going to take it slow because there's a lot of information in Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul gave a lot of information to the Thessalonican Christians when he wrote those letters. But today, I'm going to do something I haven't done in 20 years. I am a creature of habit. I do have a little OCD, a little TMI maybe. Uh, I do like my routines. So I like going through book and then another book and then giving the applications. Today, this is something different. So as I go through the scripture, if you've been here long enough, I use science. I use various scientific fields. I'm a Rutgers grad, uh, and I incorporated into the scripture to prove the veracity of God's word, Jesus, the resurrection. Uh, but we do give a lot of applications, right? And wherever we are in the book, depending on the context, I'll share little scientific facts and then just continue on with the scripture. Today, which is something I've never done before, I really felt an urging from the Lord. We live in an age of disinformation, misinformation, there's all these words now with suffixes and prefixes and such. Uh, but basically, we live in that world and we see it in a lot of fields. Unfortunately, it's also in the field of faith. So I felt a real urgency to just take a little bit of many different fields, put it together, and really the message is titled Proving Jesus and His Resurrection. It is a bold statement, but I'd like to hear your feedback at the end. My only caveat is, again, it's a little different than what we normally do, so I don't have all those applications. This is more going to be sort of like a college course um, type of thing. And then next Sunday, we're going to go back to our routine. Uh, but we're going to look at this in eight parts, and I think you're going to have some fun with this as I do. So this is where I'm going to start with. The first one is biblical prophecies, right? So we're going to go into the Bible, and then we're going to go into how we know the Bible is true. If you're a person of faith, you understand this. If you're a seeker or a skeptic, your attitude, rightfully so, is prove it to me. I need more information. I'm not just going to jump into what you believe, which I respect that attitude. So, biblical prophecies, probably out of the hundreds of them that speak about Christ before he came, which is a feat in itself. Nobody could predict the future unless you're God. So what we have to do is prove that these prophecies were actually written before they took place, which really is another level of excitement there. Uh, I'm going to give you maybe 1% or 2% of these messianic prophecies. Now remember, this is the Old Testament. This is before Christ came to the earth. And then we're going to build on the case about proving why the prophecies and the Bible is, is right. So Psalm 16, 9 through 10, we're just going to dig right into it. Psalm of David, David would write these psalms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
First Peter tells us this, that the prophets, even the angels looking into them, didn't know the full scope of what was going to happen. So certainly the Old Testament prophets, anyone writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit would write things. God said do it, they did it. They didn't understand it until they died and went to be with Him. Then it was made clear to them, I believe. So he says something. Um, Nine, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. So this is a picture of, if you understand the Jewish writings, he's dying. He's going to die. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, which was the realm of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Corruption was understood as the bodily process of decay. There's a lot in here, right? And basically what he's saying doesn't make any sense to David at all. And doesn't make any sense to anybody because nobody's risen from the dead. This is a prophecy of the resurrection without the body, the corpse, decaying, right? I'm going to move on to, uh, well, Matthew 12, 38 through 42. I'm just going to reference it. Jesus, while he was on the earth, quotes Jonah. As Jonah was in the heart of the great fish for the three days, he speaks of himself, so he will be in the heart of the earth, right? But then he will rise again. Uh, Psalm 22, I'm going to jump into that. This one I'm just going to go into bits and pieces. This one really needs to be taught verse by verse, and it probably would take three Sundays to do it. So I'm just giving you a taste because, again, when it was written, didn't make any sense. Verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. That was what Jesus said at the cross, but this was written a thousand years prior. Verse 6, but I am a worm and no man. Understanding that type of worm would, would crawl up a tree, uh, it would die, and by the shedding of its blood, its, its larva would have life. So again, every single thing in here is, I'm not doing it justice by going through it quickly. I'm a reproach of a man and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Said at the cross, right? His detractors. Verse 14, this goes to the, the uh, hypovolemia, the lack of blood, the dryness of crucifixion victims. If you study it again, a thousand years before it happened. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. The beatings, the floggings. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. So there would be severe dehydration in the crucifixion. There would be a dryness. And if you've ever had really dry mouth, there's, it kind of clings, right? The saliva is there to, to do lubrication. It's amazing stuff. I could be up here by myself. <laughs> but Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. It's a, it's a metaphor. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. What, David? What are you talking about? Again, a thousand years before the crucifixion. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones because they didn't break one of his bones. They were out of joint, but they weren't broken. They look and stare at me and divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Yep. <laughs> all right. Isaiah 53. Again, I'm going to go through this quickly. All I'm going to say with this, because this needs to be taught in its entirety, is when you start to listen to it, roughly 700 years prior to the, the crucifixion taking place, 
you get the picture of this person who Isaiah is speaking of. It isn't Isaiah. Oh, by the way, David said you're, you won't allow your Holy One to see corruption. David wasn't his Holy One, if you understand that word. That was a, a reference to, to deity, and David certainly didn't meet that criteria. Let's go back to Isaiah 53. So this is a, a picture of a person who bore the sins of the people. Right? This is before Christ came, but he was abused, but he was great, but he was attacked, but he substitutionary death makes no sense until the cross isaiah 53 verse 3 he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him right the disciples a lot of them didn't even show up to the crucifixion it was humiliating he was despised we did not esteem him surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or our sins. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And we all, like street, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all makes no sense at all. No one could do this. So this person bore the iniquities, the sins of the people? What? Never happened. Not the most righteous person in the Bible. Never happened can happen unless you're fully god and fully man verse 7 he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he didn't protest he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before shears as silent he was the lamb of god sheep right so he opened not his mouth he was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation for he was cut off he was killed from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people for the sins of my people he was stricken how many times does it say that it's not a typo just keeps reinforcing it. And they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich at his death, the tomb, right? Uh, the tomb, was it Joseph of Arimathea? Um, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So he was killed for no reason. So much to this. Okay. Acts 2, Peter. Acts 13, the Apostle Paul explained the fulfillment of this in the New Testament. They put it all together for the crowds. Okay, and all of this, <clears throat> there's several hundred prophecies that speak about the incarnation, death, burial, substitutionary death, and resurrection. You can fake a lot of things in life, because there, there were a lot of messiahs, and I'm going to talk about some of them. But you can't fake when you're going to be born. You're in the womb. You're just floating around in that amniotic sac. You have no idea, right? You, you don't call the shots. You can't decide what family you're going to come through, the time period, the kingdom or the empire that's going to be around when you, are, you come out the birth canal. Again, you can fake a lot of things, but you can't fake those things. <laughs> Time-sensitive prophecies. Two out of eight is eyewitness accounts, right? And again, I, listen, I'm not, I just, this is just my style. I'm passionate but the Bible as we know it, and this is what people say, I can't believe the Bible, the book. Well, the Bible wasn't a book until about 400 A.D. It didn't become mass-produced until, that's why they had synagogues and churches, right? Until the Gutenberg printing press of the 15th century. So when you talk about this book, yeah, modern technology made it a book for me. That's wonderful. But what it is, is a compile. You can make a book out of anything, out of series of things, of hundreds of scrolls. Today, modern technology, paper-thin you know, pages, you can make a book out of it. 
What this is is it's a collection of 66 books with 40 authors over a course of three languages over the course over over a thousand years. Many did not know each other because there was no mass transportation or the internet or telephones. They didn't know each other, lived in different time periods, hardly collusion. Can we trust their testimony? Yes, for a variety of reasons. I'll mention two of them. So, each writer had what's called an impact event. An impact event is something, and PTSD will probably come to mind, but it can be good or bad. It can be both. A lot of people just focus on the bad. It's something that has to do with how God designed the brain, the mind, the limbic system, and all the different components of the limbic system, that when there's an impact event, something pretty fantastic your brain takes a moving picture of it. All five senses. Later on, again, it could be good or bad. But you could be triggered by something well down the road, a smell, a taste, a touch, something you see, something you hear, right? Because it's an impact event. You'll never forget that as long as you live. All of these writers had impact events, good and bad. The bad was the crucifixion. They'll never forget that even if they weren't right there at the foot of the cross. The good was the resurrection. Oh, he's here. Right? We went through this in Luke. Uh, incredulous, hard to believe. It took them a little while to get there. Let me give you an example. Uh, September 11, 2001, the Twin Towers were hit. This is 22 plus years ago. Uh, I can tell you where I was because it was an impact event for me. I was in law enforcement. I was a police officer. 9-11-2001. It, it came over the radio. We had, uh, in the police car, we had what's called MDCs. It was like instant messages for the officers. So not only did you get, you can get to each other over the radio, but for those scanners, they could send a DM or a group, uh, text. And so this is, I'm in the patrol car. It was a nice day. I was heading, uh, route north, route one north. I was just passing Sand Hill Road to the left, major road to the right, just going up over the hill when it came over the radio that the towers were hit. I was in full uniform. It was a clear day. I was heading to county court in New Brunswick, right? I know such details that when one of the officers uh, sent the group message and he said, we're at war, I guess trying to be funny, the sergeant chimed in, rebuked him and said, knock it off, radio discipline. I know the officer's name. I'm not going to say it. This was over 22 years ago. I will never forget that. Could be 20 years, could be 40 years, could be 50 years. On my deathbed, I will still remember that. Eventually, I went down to ground zero, and I can tell you it was dark. There was a mild wind. I was watching one of the... I'm not a, a Manhattan person, but in one of the buildings, the whole side was sheared off. I could see the office furniture. The rest of the building was intact, but one wall was completely sheared off. Uh, I could see the fan that when the wind was blowing from the outside, it was turning the blades of the fan. How do you know that? You all have an impact event. If you think hard enough, you can think of one. The, the witnesses had an impact event. It was something their brain took a snapshot of. Do you think Moses, when, he, when he's hearing uh, voices and seeing a burning bush that's not being consumed, don't you think that was an impact event? Of course it was, the first five books of Moses. right? So this is what we're dealing with. Okay, and again, for the skeptic, and I love skeptics. Boy, do I love skeptics. I... I want to welcome them to the church. I want to get to know them. I want to answer all their questions. I want everybody to receive Christ because that's a good thing. So, aside from the eyewitness testimony, can we believe the veracity of the Bible? 
Yes, we can. And the word is paleography, which is sort of a subset of archaeology, which is the study... That's three, by the way. I'm going too fast. Three is the study and interpretation of ancient writings and forms of writings. That's paleography. It supports God's words. I'm going to give you this dozens of legitimate uh, archaeological sources, paleographical sources that are in museums. They're in Israel. They're in Britain. Um, they're all over the place because they're priceless, right? Somebody, you go to the Middle East with a shovel and a brush and eventually you find something that's pretty amazing that verifies what the Bible says. So I'm going to give you three out of dozens, just three, and there's a reason why I'm doing this. A, the Ketef Hinnom scrolls, which were uh, the southwest corner of Jerusalem, Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom. Uh, These scrolls were found... They were dated back to the first temple period, 700 B.C. They're still, I forget which museum they're in, 2,700 years old. Back then they would uh, use, they would take silver and certain metals and hammer them, not to the point of like gold leaf, because then they break apart, but a little less than that, a certain amount of millimeters, they knew how to do this, and they would roll them up. And the metal ones were great because they lasted a long time. So Ketef Hinnom, you can look it up. Nobody argues about their veracity. Uh, they had mostly the books of Moses, not a whole lot there, but it certainly uh, lines up with what we know of our scripture. Uh, B, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Everybody's heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found 1946 to 1956 in the Judean desert, uh, mostly biblical manuscripts from the 3rd century B.C. to the 1st century A.D. They were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and they were kept by the Essenes, which were sort of the, mo- the old version of the modern-day monks. They secluded themselves. They were concerned about the Roman Empire. So they gathered and copied and kept these scrolls. So if there was a war against the Jewish people, because they were a sect of Judaism, uh, they would have these scrolls, and they did keep them very well. The way they, and there's a whole science not only on the writings, but what is the writing on? Is it parchment? Is it vellum? Is it hammered metal? Uh, what substrate? Um, basically, there's a whole science on what you write your, the words and, and the letters and stuff on. So, this con- confirms the veracity of the current Bible. I remember when they came out and they were being translated and they looked at the modern Bible and they said, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty accurate. You know, you keep finding these things and you, you just verify it. Both Josephus Flavius, who was a Roman historian, and also the Roman Pliny the Elder verif- verified the existence of the Essenes. Okay? So you have, um, what do I call it, circular confirmation from various sources. C, the Septuagint. I love this one because it has almost the entire Old Testament. And it, it was written at a time which was, is verified by paleographers that especially Daniel and some of these Old Testament books about the Messiah so that when it happened, nobody could say, oh, that was written afterwards. No, it wasn't because the Septuagint was verified that it was a 3rd century B.C. Let me give you a little background, right? I'm glad you asked. Uh, So, 3rd century B.C. at the request of the Grecian ruler, Ptolemy II Philadelphus. He wanted it in his library. So he got 70 Hebrew scholars who were fluent in Hebrew and Greek 
to translate the entire Hebrew Old Testament into the Koine Greek to bring monotheism to the polytheistic Greeks. Pretty, pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> there you have that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to the fourth one. Before I do that, there are other amazing, especially the New Testament, right? There's, uh, there's different uh, translations of the New Testament, and we find them. There's over 24,000 partial and full manuscripts in the New Testament in Greek, Coptic, Aramaic, Latin, Hebrew, and they agree with each other with less than 1% disagreement. Here's an important idea as well. So people will say, and again, it's it's whatever. You know, I went to high school, went to college, I wasn't a Christian, and you'd be around some circles, and you'd sit around and talk philosophy, and somebody would say, yeah, it's like telephone the Bible. And everybody says that it's like telephone. Here's the problem with that. When a new translation, a legitimate new translation comes out, they don't go based on the one that was just translated. They go back to the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic and start all over again. Give you an example. The King James, right? Maybe we spoke that sort of English uh, hundreds of years ago, but a lot of people like it. A lot of people, they have a hard time following it. So for the new King James, they got their team of scholars, and this can be well over 100. They go back to the Koine Greek, Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, and they start from scratch, and they remove all the flowery King James language, and there you get the New King James. It's not telephone, right? So if, Bible, if understanding and translating the Bible was telephone, the first person, right, in telephone, first person tells the second, second tells the third, it's fun game because by the tenth person, you don't know what the, the, the first person says what, what they meant, and the tenth person, you're like, what? They're a world apart. This would be a damper on the game telephone. Biblical telephone would be the first person tells the second person, Second person tells the third person. Third person goes back to the first person, gets it right, then tells the fourth person. Fourth person goes back to the first person. See, that's how you do a translation. So by the time, if it's biblical telephone, by, by the time it's the tenth person, you eliminate the middleman, you go back to the first person again. What a boring game that would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> but that's your biblical version of telephone. Continuing on. Four, pejoratives that prove question mark exclamation point this is where i go into people who (laughs) i love it they didn't like jesus pastor joe why would you tell us about historians that didn't like jesus because it's great because the one the historians say don't follow that jesus he's a sorcerer he deceives people he does magic he's a magician what are they telling you number one he existed shh don't say that But I don't like that guy and I want to write it down. Great. Now we all know 2,000 years later that he existed. What are they also telling you? He could do the supernatural. They can't figure it out. They don't understand it. Looks like magic. Looks like sorcery. How is that guy getting healed? How is that person who seemed like he was dead four days ago, how is he here again? What are they telling you? He has divine powers that nobody else has. What is our 2024, January 2024, based on? Go back 2,024 years. What do you run into? The time of Christ. It's kind of cute. They try to sanitize it, right? BCE, before the common error, instead of BC, before Christ. AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, becomes uh, CE, the common error. You, you can whitewash it all you want. You go back 2,024 years. Who do you run into in Jerusalem? You run into Jesus. Right? So, 
Um, so I'm going to go through some of these. Believe it or not, uh, every once in a while I run into the History Channel, which is very secular, and they end up confirming what the Scripture says. So I started with the article from the History Channel 3, 2021. It was only, well, I guess, two years ago now. It says, the Bible says Jesus was real. What other proof exists? And they go into the proof. What he also does is he references an article by Lawrence Mictiuk, who actually goes into more depth about Jesus, based on not Jesus or his followers, about people who attacked him. Lawrence Mictiuk is an associate professor of library science and the history librarian at Purdue University. He holds a Ph.D. in Hebrew and Semitic studies and is the author of the book Identifying Biblical Persons in Northwest Semitic Inscriptions of 1200 through 539 BCE. I don't think the guy's even a Christian, but let me just tell you what he wrote because it's fun because I enjoy it. His work is, he did the work for me. I usually do this on my own, but he did the work and then I just verified it. And like, you guys, he's got more degrees than I do. He knows what he's talking about. The title is, Did Jesus Exist? Searching for Evidence Beyond the Bible. So let's look at some of the nasty things the historian said while verifying Jesus and his miracles. I love it. The Roman, I'm having a good time up here. <laughs> The Roman historian Tacitus, in his writing Annals, which people still follow, which you can find in libraries, he said that, <clears throat> this is interesting, he spoke about the scandalous belief that the fire, the fire of Rome, had been ordered by Nero. So it's something that everybody knew but didn't want to talk about because he was the emperor. Therefore, to put down the rumor, Nero substituted as culprits and punished in the most unusual ways those hated for their shameful acts whom the crowd called Christians. That's what they call, called them. The founder, Christ, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Suppressed for a time, the deadly superstition, that's what they call Christianity, erupted again, not only in Judea, the origin of this evil, but also in the city, Rome, where all things horrible and shameful from everywhere come together and become popular. I'm just getting started. So we move on from him to Josephus Flavius, Jewish Antiquities, Book 20. And he spoke, actually he speaks about uh, the brother of Jesus who is called Messiah, James, and how he was executed. So number one, he's saying, and the Bible told us that he had brothers, he had siblings, brothers and sisters, that James was not a believer, but becomes a believer because of the resurrection. Um, and we know, I believe it's the book of Acts, that he's executed by the Roman government. And not that Josephus wanted to call him Messiah because he wasn't a believer, but he had to differentiate Yeshua, Yehoshua, which was a common name from any old, like Joe, right? Which Joe are you talking about? So he had to say the one who was called Messiah. Okay, continuing on. Uh, Josephus Flavius, the Testimonium Flavium, reads, Around this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, implying that maybe he was a god or a hybrid. For he was one who did surprising deeds and a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him 
to be crucified, those who in the first place came to love him did not give up their affection for him. For on the third day he appeared to them restored to life. The prophets of God had prophesied this and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians, so called after him, have still to this day not died out. I only got a few more. Um, so uh, Miktiuk, the one who wrote this, spoke about a lot of the rabbinical, the Talmudic writings. Rabbis who came afterwards, many rabbis believed in Jesus. Some still held on to, well, we, we just don't, don't agree with it. And he said that the rab- rabbis used the real events of, of Jesus' life against him, uh, that he performed miracles by evil magic, encouraged apostasy and was justly executed for his own sins, but they do not deny his existence. Again, I'm not attacking anybody. I want everybody to know Yeshua. I'm just telling you what the historical sources say. So what did the uh, religious leaders say when Jesus did miracles and they couldn't refute it? They said he does it by the power of Beelzebub. We can't explain it. We don't want to accept that you're Messiah, so we have to say that some demon is making you do it. So it's right in here. Lucian of Samosoto, who is a Greek satirist, right? And again, all of these writings are right at the turn between the first and the second century. It says they revered him as a god. That's important because Jesus claimed deity, used him as a lawgiver, and set him down as a protector to be sure. After that, others whom they still worship, the man or the other whom they still worship, sometimes the writing is hard to kind of follow, the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult into the world. Certainly not somebody who likes Christianity. For having, by the way, Syria, Palestina, that's a whole other discussion about what's going on in our college campuses. You have to, you have to look at history. That was something named by the Romans. It was a derogatory term. It disappeared, then came back in the 1950s. But for having convinced themselves that they are going to be immortal and live forever, I love this, the poor wretches despise death and most even willingly give themselves up. Okay? Celsus, the Platonist philosopher, considered Jesus to be a magician who made exorbitant claims. Pliny the Younger, a Roman governor and friend of Tacitus, wrote about early Christian worship of Christ as to a god. And I think I have one more. Uh, you know, you get the point. Uh, some of these, uh, I'll get a Talmudic, some of them, I'll say, here's a Talmudic source. Uh, Babylonian Talmud Sanhedrin 43a, which is still revered today. Uh, so they said, it is tradition that on the eve of Passover, they hanged Yeshua Hanosri, which means the Nazarene. Remember, Yeshua was a common name. So they had to say, well, he was the one that people believe was the Messiah. He was the Nazarene. They had to say, this is the Yeshu or Yeshua that we're talking about. And the herald went forth before him for 40 days. Yeshu Hanosri is to be stoned. That was the preferred method because it, because if they really believed he was a heretic, that would be back in the, in the book of Moses. But they weren't opening their eyes to see that he was the Messiah. So anyone who did any type of magic, they were, they were frightened of because he had practiced magic and, and enticed and led Israel astray. Anyone who knows anything in his favor, let him come and speak concerning him. So you have Romans, Greeks, Jewish, religious, political, satirists, and historians. I mean, this is, this is pretty, and there's so much more here. If you, if you want to see my sources or ask me about them, I'd be more than happy to do that. 
So these are pejoratives that prove, number one, that he existed. Even atheist, agnostic uh, historians say, of course Jesus existed. But two, that he did things that nobody else could do. They were magic or sorcery. In their eyes, for us, we know it's the supernatural. And he never did it as a bad thing. No one ever accused him of doing anything bad. Right? They didn't say he did magic to, uh, I don't know, turn himself into a goat or something like that. It was, he did miracles. Number five out of eight is strong, subdued, weak winds. Let me explain that. So the strong who came against Rome, right? If Rome decided that your group was a threat, they would go after you and they would crush you. That's what the Romans did. And I'm going to go through a lot of a few historical uh, points about this. And we know that the, the reports, listen, Nero was a, a real person, you know, Tacitus, all these people were real people. You, secular historians will say, of course, they were real people. Of course, that was a real emperor. But Nero would tie up sometimes the Christians. He was, he was demonically inspired, I believe, because Paul, the Apostle Paul witnesses to him and uh, he eventually, no, he goes all the way up to the emperor, and then all of a sudden he turns. You read historical works, they will tell you, yeah, Nero was a pretty balanced guy, and then he went mad. Well, he went mad because he got demon-possessed. So he would tie up some Christians, and he would dip them in pitch and while they were still alive, and he would light them on fire as they were burning, screaming. Um, that would light up his gardens at night. So don't tell me that the Romans didn't persecute Christians. They would throw them into the lions, or excuse me, they would, <laughs> I'm thinking of Daniel, but the lion's den, the tigers, whoever was out there, alligators, and they would say, oh, Christians are easy bait, they don't fight back, and they would throw them into the Colosseums. So, but let's go through this. 71 B.C., before Jesus comes to the earth, Rome destroyed 120,000 strong armed gladiators in the Spartacus Rebellion. We still hear about that term now. The ones who survived, who gave up, were sold into slavery or crucified. Rome made an example of them. Don't do this again. A.D. 66 through 73, Rome destroyed 45,000 armed Jewish zealots behind the walls of Jerusalem and eventually took Masada in 73 A.D. They made siege ramps. They were determined to root you out if they thought you were a threat. Gone. A.D. 117, the Quitos War, 200,000 armed zealots were killed by the Romans. And A.D. 136, which is the most magnificent in terms of numbers, you know, it was a long time ago, so historians have, they say it was between the, the Bar Kokhba rebellion. Bar Kokhba gets up there and says, hey, Jesus isn't the Messiah, I am. Well, he got a pretty good following. There were 200,000 to 400,000, you can look this up, armed zealots under this false messiah, Bar Kokhba. And they were slaughtered mercilessly. Well, Jesus was killed and his followers were killed. And there's churches all over the place that give homage to Yeshua, Jesus. I've never seen one temple. I do a lot of reading. I've never seen one temple or one church dedicated to Bar Kokhba. Not one. All of these so-called messiahs who rose up were put down, disappeared from history. You have to dig it up to find them. How did these weak followers of Jesus who gave themselves up when they were arrested, they never shed blood of any of the soldiers, how did they survive? 
They were easy prey for Rome. Why couldn't Rome just get rid of them? And a lot of them asked that question. Why can't we get rid of these people? The more we kill, the more seem to rise up. And some of them were in government that rose up and became Christians. Because of a risen Savior. Because Rome was actually defeated by Christianity. After realizing they couldn't destroy Christianity, but they destroyed all these other groups, they end up accepting it with the Edict of Toleration, which I believe was 311 A.D., and the Edict of Milan, which was 313 A.D., that said, we're done killing the Christians, now we're going to accept them into our lovely Roman home, right? But this is how Satan works. You know, tri- uh, plan B was to get to to merge, and this is the irritation that some Christians have with Christmas and Easter, they, they merged the weird gods and goddesses and festivals with the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, and they watered it down. I will just tell you this, I don't judge anybody who celebrates how you celebrate, I just don't. But, you know, we, we can be sort of annoying when we go through history and, <laughs> you see that? <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there were three wise there were three wise men in there, and Pastor Paul and I said, there's wise men in there. It didn't happen at the same time. The wise men are back there, by the way. Because historically, they weren't there at the same time. And I know I can be annoying sometimes, right? But I just have to be true to what the truth is. Um, I just, in America, it's just too commercialized, that's all. But, you know, you know we have our Christmas play and such, but we try to bring it back to Christianity, right? Some of you, I know some of you have come out of movements who don't like Christmas and Easter, but I always tell the person, we're going to bring the truth back into it. And all those people that don't show up to church except for twice a year, they're going to hear the true gospel. So, you know, there's a method to our madness. Six, fiction is never attacked. This is going to be fun. If you didn't have fun up to this point, this is really going to be fun. Nobody attacks the Easter bunny or pink elephants. I hope I'm not offending anybody. But they do attack the resurrection. So there's a few, and I'm going to go through these quickly. There are a few theories that cropped up. Some, they said, well, we have to stop Christianity. So Rome, you kill them, and we'll make up some theories about what might have happened. So to get these people to stop worshiping this Christus, as they called him. A, the swoon theory. That alleges that Jesus lived through the crucifixion. He just fainted, and after they put him into a cool tomb, oh, it was so nice and cool in there, he revived, and then he went on for 40 days walking and greeting people, and everything was just fine. Here's a few problems with that. I've never read about anyone who's ever survived Roman crucifixion. It was designed to kill you, right? It wasn't like the Old West that they did the rope, and they went to hang you, and it broke. They let you go. Nobody came back from crucifixion. They made sure all your blood was let. Uh, They made sure you suffocated. It was horrible. Uh, I have to laugh because, you know, I went through this anatomy and physiology about a month ago, and I talked about the visceral organ failure that takes place during crucifixion. It's actually quite fascinating. But, you know, I mean... It's not like there was a a Jerusalem Robert Wood Johnson trauma center that they could take Jesus off and lay him in a gurney. Oh, we got a stat. We need surgeons and we we need blood transfusions. And none of that happened. And in my former profession, I've seen people go through traumatic injury and they go to a a hospital that 
helps to, if they can, some people don't make it. And it takes months for them to get out. So Jesus just, he's laid in a cool tomb and he, he gets up and goes, oh, I'm feeling some pain, but I'm just going to go walking for 40 days. It doesn't work like that. So the swoon theory is ridiculous. Uh, B, this one's great. The mass hallucination theory <laughs> that Jesus didn't resurrect. But, and these are legit theories that are out there. All of his followers had the same resurrection hallucination. Well, what about the over 501 that the Apostle Paul tells us about? I will tell you this, that as a law enforcement veteran and um, the CIA is, sadly, they've done experiments. They're weird. <laughs> they get into weird stuff. Uh, but there's been medical journals that have talked about psychedelics, LSD, PCP, psilocybin. And you could put, you could do a controlled study and have 10 people in the same room. They all take it from the same batch. And some of them have good trips. Some of them have bad trips. And no... No two people have the same type of experience. That's what psychedelics do. They, they short-circuit the brain, and for every person, it's done a little bit differently. Uh, so the mass hallucin- hallucination theory that everybody gets up and they come out of the stupor, they all eat the same magic mushrooms, and they all wake up and go, Jesus resurrected, man. Doesn't work like that. Sorry. So C, the stolen body theory. Here's the problem. The disciples, the chickens, the ones that they sent the women to the tomb Sunday while they hide, they hid in, in some closed room. So these are the guys that stole the body. These are the guys that um, overpowered, trained Roman soldiers, rolled away a several thousand pound stone and stole Jesus' body and lied about it to everybody else. Now, here's the thing, folks. Like the one critic of the Christians said, these people think, Christians, that they're going to be immortal, so they don't, they're not that concerned about their present life. If you know Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and you know that's a fact and it's a lie, and there is no immortality, this life becomes that much more important. Who dies for a lie willingly and truncates, shortens their lifespan if they know there is no immortality. Human psychology, it, this makes no sense at all. They all have this, me, me, whatever. It's, I'm just going through some of these theories. But you've got, you got to apply logic to it. And I'll, I'll leave you with this one, D, the body double theory. Ah, now we're into Hollywood. Jesus didn't really die. He used a stand-in. So on the night he was arrested, arrested the guard said, is that, that's him. And some guy over here goes, no, no, it's me. I'm really Jesus. Take me. And I'm going to die for a lie, right? Uh, so the body double theory uh, is, yeah. You know, when the, when the uh, Da Vinci Code came out, uh, some Christians were rattled by it. I'm like, this is, this is dumb. I read the book. It was a waste of my time. Uh, they get into the failed priori of Sion and all these, uh, you know, conspiracies about, Jesus somehow escaping, marries Mary. What's with Mary Magdalene? He marries Mary Magdalene. They have children. And there's this secret code of, of, uh, of order, of, of progeny of Jesus down the line that we have to... It's so weird. It's, Jesus looked at women like they were his daughters. Yeah, he was Before he was incarnate, he was with the Father and had a hand in creation. So th- that whole thing is, and Jesus, then he's a liar because he came to this earth and he said, for this reason, I have come into the world. For what reason? To die a substitutionary death so that we could have life. 
So none of this stuff makes any sense. And it, it's, you really have to look to find it, but it's just, it's just weak. Seven. Seven. Changed lives. Every person who truly trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, truly, must be able to look back, and maybe not a year or a few months, several years, a decade, and objectively come to the conclusion that they're a changed person. Because belief determines behavior. So let me just say that. Belief determines behavior. Right? I'll just speak about me, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this in front of you, but it's, it's that person's dead. He's the old Joe, the old man. I mean, I was hot-tempered, stingy, self-centered, petty, not a nice person. Just going to be honest. I'm not saying I'm perfect now because I'm not, but Christ changed my life. Here, you want to hear a, a real true story about a changed life? So several years back, a gentleman from my college years comes to... I did, I didn't do anything horrible, okay? I just sometimes the mind starts, what did he do, you know? Just wasn't a good person. It wasn't a nice person. It's very selfish. So years, so years ago, there's a gentleman who comes with his family from, we went to college together. He's since moved out of state, but he stayed with us, right? And he looks at me, and we, we recognize each other. And he goes, he goes, wait a minute, you're the pastor? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Shh. We'll talk afterwards. <laughs> we'll talk. I'll get you up to speed of what happened in the last 30 years. So he goes, oh, I got to see this. <laughs> but he just, every time he would come to church, he would just smirk at me. He's like, yeah, I know. He, but he goes, yeah, wow. Um, I'm like, Christ changed my life. Right? That's what he does. You know what I'm saying? And that's it. Verse 8, or... Part eight is at the precipice. Listen, there's a lot of evidence here. And I'm just say this, that, you know, I followed some of these still crime stories. It's my old life, right? Uh, even person, multiple murderers, serial killers, whatever. Uh, they're innocent. They're innocent. And then after the trial and all the appeals are exhausted, they're like, uh, uh, yeah, not only did I do it, but hey, can you interview me? Because I want to write a book now, whatever. So, in a, in a murder trial, to get 12 strangers to agree on anything, and these people, they look at the evidence. There's uh, fingerprints, there's fiber evidence, there's DNA, there's testimony, there's tire tracks, there's, I mean, you go through everything but a videotape of the guy smiling and waving and saying, boom, and they shoot the person. They never have that. That's called direct evidence. These murder trials are, the person is convicted on what's called circumstantial evidence. And it happens every day. And it's valid. So people want me to produce Jesus. Oh, that's way above my pay grade. You know, you have to measure the evidence if you're a skeptic, and you have to come to the conclusion on your own. In John 20, Thomas demanded that Jesus show him the wounds from the crucifixion. Right? Even though he saw the resurrected Christ, he wanted to see the wounds. Jesus knew it. And he said, Thomas, put your fingers in there. He says, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And he said, blessed are you, Thomas, for you have seen and believe, but blessed even more are those who have not seen and yet will believe. And that's 2,000 years of Christian history. So, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book 
liar, lunatic, or Lord. Jesus claimed deity. When he did those miraculous works, he did it uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He did it in conjunction with the Father, right? And I'm just going to say this, that folks, the evidence is there. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And to the skeptic, I mean, I had a little fun today. It's fun stuff, I think. Um, To the skeptic, you really have to search your heart. When you believe certain things with, through your universities or through people that you trust, you usually apply a lot less evidence than the evidence that's there to believe in who Christ is. Right? And this happens all the time. To the believer, I would say to you, is that, you know what? Go over the, I know sometimes I talk fast, go over through the sermon again or the teaching and take notes. Because, you know what? You might be able to use this one day and maybe you can win somebody over and get them closer. What is my goal? Because I know I have some people that haven't accepted the Lord yet here today. My goal is not to get you to join this church. You could say to me, you know, there's a church 20 minutes down the road. I like that one better. God bless you. We just want to provide a forum for you to come and receive Christ. We don't want your money. I don't take attendance. It's not how it works here. So I would say that you're at the precipice. You're at the edge. All the history and the proof and the evidence can only get you to here. We can never intellectualize somebody into the kingdom. From here, it has to be a matter of your emotions, your will, and your intellect, your reasoning ability. From here at the precipice, before you jump in, you have to pray about it. You have to do the research. You have to say, if this is the truth, I want to believe it. And I want to take that journey. If it's not, then I don't. But that's your choice. I would just say choose wisely. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.